Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 127 of Yoga Land. Jason is back again this week. Hi, Jason. Hello. And uh, we're going to just be super, super self-centered and talk about ourselves today. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, which... When are we not doing that? We really... It's one of our favorite topics. Totally. But I think first we're actually going to announce that... You are doing a teacher training in San Francisco again next year. Yes. Yeah. So every year I do my 300-hour training. I've been doing it in London and San Francisco. It's also happening this year in Hong Kong. But I want to let everyone know, just a quick shameless plug, that this is just really, really super awesome training in every possible way. And it begins in February 2019. But the early bird registration is coming up. We're about a month out from the early bird registration price. So that is November 15th. Okay. So that's when it is. Yeah, that's new. So tons of info online. Will you link it in the show notes? Sure, sure, okay. sure, sure. So yep. come join me. It's at Love Story Us. Yoga in the mission. You do parts of it now. I now do some, some yeah. talks and presentations. Yeah. And you will not be my guinea pig group, which no. is also kind of nice for you because I think I learned a few things and will calm down a little bit in my presentation of things. You think so? Maybe. Do you think you are uncalm? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's the answer reason. I mean, anytime you get up in, a, in front of a group of people and you are talking about something for the first time, totally. you're going to have a little bit of adrenaline or a little bit of like, hmm, are my, am I reaching them? Is this helpful? Is this making sense? But it's been great for me because now I feel like I understand even, I just understand the teacher's experience more and more. As time goes on. And we still get it. The teachers still get that discomfort, right? We had that conversation really recently. I don't know when episode posted. Yeah. yeah. About teaching and, and just having nerves. And in, in some ways, it's, it's just really hard to stand up and talk for 60 or 90 minutes without the nerves. Just literally, we, to some degree, it's a little bit of the necessary fuel mm-hmm. to do what we do. Yeah. And speaking of nerves, oh man, were you I'm nervous? Were you nervous ten years ago today when we got married? Because that is part of the reason, you guys, yeah. that we decided to have this conversation about ourselves. I wasn't kidding about that, because it's our ten-year wedding anniversary. Ten-year wedding anniversary <laughs> today. Yeah, yeah. And whose idea was it? It was yours. Which no, no, so not my idea to get married. That was your idea. <laughs> Right. Yes. A very sure. good idea, mind. I was thirty-six years old. I was ready. I was twenty-one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mentally. Yeah, maybe. emotionally. Yeah. Uh, no, it was my idea to have this conversation. Yeah. Because yoga is kind of a, it's a centerpiece that has, I think, informed both of the ways that we are. Mm-hmm. And it's also been our subject matter mm-hmm. for so long. Yeah. And if it weren't for yoga, we probably wouldn't have met each other. I know. It's crazy. Like all of our, so much of our narrative one way or another as a couple revolves around this wild and sometimes weird world of yoga. <laughs> so the answer to your question, was I nervous? Of course I was nervous. Really? Of course. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, what's there not to be nervous about? But you know, but here's the thing. I'll keep it as simple as I can say, which is 
this might be kind of odd for people to hear, but I actually really don't like attention mm. and I don't like being in front of people. Yeah. Except for in the one situation where I'm doing my specific job. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that I like it in this situation is because I've gotten really used to it. Mm -hmm. I've just gotten used to being in front of people, but I wasn't nervous to be married to you. I was nervous to get married. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. In front of others. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just that that display but even you know like when speaking of trainings right even the sort of the tiny bit of ceremonious part at the end where i hand out yeah. where i hand out certifications oh, oh i get really nervous oh that's so cute i get so nervous <laughs> so i don't like it you know you're not a ritual person i'm oh not a ritual person when we first met it was like what is your problem because i come from a big italian family right and there is a lot of ritual. I mean, I was also, my the background of my family is also Catholic. Talk about ritual. Like, there's so much. Well, I was involved in those rituals, too. I mean, yeah. smaller family, but going to Mass, all that. But it's, it was just never something I felt comfortable with. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. Which, is, which is strange because I'm, I, like, I'm so into routine. I know. Like, one of the things that I'll tell people about, because I travel so much, let's say I'm doing a weekend workshop. Or let's say I'm doing a three-day thing or even a five-day thing. Let's say I arrive and then on the first day of classes, I go to a restaurant that is close to the studio for lunch. And I have a meal that is even just passable. Every day that I am there, I will go to the same place and order the exact same meal. Because my life is so erratic from day to day or week to week, that peripatetic I, is a peripatetic. good way to des describe it. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite word. words. Thanks, editor. I'm always searching for consistency within the sort of the vast sea of change, which is a very yogic thing, by the way. But ritual where other people see me, mm -hmm. it, it's difficult. I don't think that it's about the quote-unquote vulnerability. Like, I don't have a difficult time being vulnerable, but maybe it, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I think in part, I'm just going to put this out there because it'd be so interesting to hear if other people respond similarly, because I often do get confirmation on region from listeners. It's almost like your ultimate Midwesterner comes out. It's like, don't yeah. make a big deal about it. Let's not make a big deal about it. It's just not a big deal. It's like, yeah. we're just going to go back out to the farm and drive yeah. the tractor and do our daily work. And we don't need to dress up in our fancy clothes. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Italians are like, I want to be as fancy <laughs> as possible. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, yeah. uh, your leg broke? Okay, that's okay. That's too bad that happened. Let's just tape it up. Yep. <laughs> You're good. You're and good. mostly keep doing most of what you can do <laughs> without really talking about it. Oh, my gosh. So, well, I'm glad to hear that you were not nervous about the marriage because I didn't think you were. And we were definitely not, by the time we were getting married, you know, we were pretty comfortable with the idea of being married, but I understand. The yeah. And I wasn't, I was thinking about this today. I wasn't comfortable getting engaged. And what I was trying to do was trying to figure out like, what was that about? Because the assumption I think so often, I think especially with men is that it's a fear of commitment. And I don't know for me if it was a fear of commitment. It was, I think what it was is a fear of complication. 
I was kind of thinking about like it's it was kind of a fear of complication and a fear of responsibility. So I don't know if that's also commitment, but it was sort of like the fear of like agreeing to kind of forever and always making decisions that that are not just self-involved. Yeah. It's the layer of complexity. I think that was just unnerving. Sure. I mean, I'm going to say something. I'm not worried about offending you because we offend each other all the time and we we still love each other. But I'm going to say something that I hope doesn't offend the male listeners out there. But it's what I think is true, which is I think that it's not a fear of commitment for men. It's, It's a fear of growing up. It's a fear of, like you said, responsibility. Yeah. And, you know, I think that in, at least in American culture, well, all over the world, women have to grow up a lot sooner and faster than men because physically we're more vulnerable and we're not protected as much under laws. And I don't mean to go so deep yeah, yeah. and dark, but it's just the truth. I mean, yeah. women are really, from a very young age, it's like, you have to be careful of this and you have to watch out for that and you have to work harder than that person. And you have to, you know, it's like, and maybe there is also, who knows, a biological imperative there was for me of wanting to have a kid. And you're just like so, so aware. You're so aware that your body's changing and men just don't like, they just don't have that. as yeah, much. I think they yeah. do at a certain point, certainly not at the age that we were when we were dating and, and, and getting engaged, but let's talk. Wait, real quick. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that reciprocally. So I've never thought about women having to grow up in the ways that you just described. Yeah. Because I do I do think and I don't I don't think most men would take offense to it if they're honest with themselves to it and that's certainly what it was for me. Which isn't to say I was woefully immature. No, not at all. Right? You it were was like just one of the most mature men I've ever met. And I think also like not to offend our women listeners, <laughs> but a male life with a woman is a more complicated life. Yeah, and you love it. I do love it. <laughs> I do love it, but but it's two. not just an issue of growing up, <laughs> right? It's an issue of growing up, but it is also my life with other male friends has never been remotely complicated. My life with women partners, it gets complicated. I think just in some ways, man, are we really good? I think that for me and you, I just knew to grow up meant to take on a much more complicated and dynamic life cycle. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Since you sort of brought it up, I, yeah. I think it absolutely makes sense that a male-female relationship is more can be more complex than a single-sex relationship. That's just... Or I would say maybe like a romantic partnership is by nature more complicated than a friendship, right? Than any yeah. Friendship. But but let me ask you this: I actually feel like our relationship is not that complicated. It's not. Okay. It's actually not. No 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 no. It's not. It's I'm not. Like, we we get each other pretty well. <clears throat> totally. And so for me, I think in past relationships, I will own up to the fact that I was probably pretty complicated, especially as a younger, more insecure woman who felt like I was with partners who didn't understand me, didn't, didn't really love me the way I felt like I wanted to be loved or, you know, I felt insecure in my own right. But I felt like with you, I feel like I've been like a pretty decently uncomplicated partner because I have such deep trust and connection with you. 
Yeah, I also think that the other layer with that is our day-to-day personalities work well together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you and I at, the, at our root have pretty similar worldviews. We have pretty similar internal lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? very much. I right? mean, you know what, what I think was interesting from the very beginning when we became friends is that when we would talk about our experience of childhood and not that specific yeah. things we went through because they were very different, but like our internal experience yeah. of childhood was so similar. Yeah. That still blows me away. Yeah. I, we are not a case of opposites attract. No, 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 no. And we're no. also not a case of we're together because we challenge each other. No. no. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> like enough things are challenging. You give me a break, man. What is this, 12th grade? No. Yeah, no, 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 no. 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 I think... So does that mean we're, we sort of are completely in agreement on everything all the time? No, of course not. But, but I think that those, it's literally just the word, we're just actually compatible. Yes. You know, personality, day-to-day, and, and also our internal landscape and worldview. It's just, we don't have to daily explain why we feel the way we feel. That I think would be a very difficult thing. Yes. Yeah. Especially with our particular sensitivities, personalities, oh, and things like that. Oh, awful. Yeah. Yeah. So we can sort of go into the overt yoga stuff by just saying, talking a little bit briefly about when we first met mm-hmm. and in what context. Mm-hmm. That's not just extremely self-indulgent. That's kind of interesting for listeners. Yeah. Because we've navigated a lot of different terrain as friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So we met how long ago? 15 years ago, would you say? Oh gosh. I was 29 when we I started at Yoga Journal. I met you a couple weeks in. So that would be years. 17 years ago. 17 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at the time, the Yoga Journal office was in Berkeley. Yes. It was on, was that on University or Shattuck? Like University and Shattuck. I think. Anyways, it was in Berkeley. And I was teaching, I think, one day a week of classes. Mm-hmm. So I came in, I think it was Wednesday morning, and there were two classes in a row at that time. There was the beginner's class and there was the advanced class. And I think they were, the beginner's was an hour and the advanced was an hour and 15 minutes. And I had gotten that job because John Abbott, who was the owner of Yoga Journal at the time, was taking my classes at the Mindful Body, which is a studio in San Francisco. And he asked me to take over classes for a period of time for Amy went on maternity leave. Amy went on maternity leave. Amy Stone. Yeah. Yeah. So Amy Stone went on maternity leave. So they needed a long-term sub. So John hired me to be a long-term sub. And then when Amy eventually came back, they just added another class. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember how long I was teaching those classes before you came to class, but not just a that few months, long. maybe. Yeah, I think just a few months. And talk about nerves. You know, I was a really green teacher at the time. I was really 27 new. years old. Was I 27 years old? You were. If I was 29, you were 27. Yeah, 27. So, you know, I was pretty green at the time. I had been teaching for a couple of years, but relatively green. And I remember when you came to class and you had been practicing Ashtanga yoga. <laughs> well, right? yeah. And I had just finished my teacher training. 
So you well, I was in the middle of my teacher training. I don't think you were in a training. Yes, I was. I, oh, okay. I didn't start okay. I didn't start at Yoga Journal till the end of my teacher training. Okay. So yes, I had been in Ashtangi, but No, I, I mean I thought you had finished your teacher training. Oh, I think maybe I had just yeah, finished it. Yeah. I mean you I don't think you were currently okay. in training. So you were practicing Ashtanga. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I do remember our first conversation in the yoga room. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do tell. Oh, I, that's what I was saying. Let's I don't, no, 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 no. I don't remember. Oh, you were just so struck by my baby <laughs> exactly. that you can't remember the content exactly. of the conversation. I only remember can, the let's, let's give the people what they want. Well, you know, you know, you were so struck. Exactly. By this petite Italian. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Deep for, forward folds. <laughs> that you don't remember the content of the conversation, but you remember just looking into my my big brown eyes. Exactly. Okay. That okay. and mm-hmm. I, was Catherine Arnold the editor in chief at the time? Yes. So Catherine Arnold, editor in chief at the time, she had an ongoing sacred iliac issue. Yes. And so I feel like one of the issues that we talked about early was you had a significant SI issue. That is so funny that you remember that. My teacher training flared up a major SI issue for me. So yes, you are correct in remembering that. So I remember that. So that was it, right? That was it. And also like, I think because I don't know that I was overcompensating that much, but because I was in the environment of being a relatively young teacher teaching at Yoga Journal to the editorial staff and the conference staff, I was really insecure, but I knew a lot about dealing with SI joint issues. So that was probably something that I keyed in on, Mm. you know, like if you had talked about like tennis elbow or, you know, whatever (laughs) it was, like something that I had really no knowledge of at the time. I don't know that I remember it, but I remember this because of that. That's hilarious. And then, so I was teaching that class regularly, right? And you came pretty consistently. Oh, yeah. I When I got to Yoga Journal, there was class three days a week. All the teachers were great. Like you said, they had, a, they had a beginner class and an advanced class. And I was definitely at that point in my life, like wanting to take an advanced class. So, oh, God, I loved those classes. I mean, the middle of the day, three times a week, I would get to do really great yoga with people who were also, who were equally invested in the practice. It was amazing. I came all the time. Yeah. What was the next phase? I think probably the next phase was in that era of Yoga Journal, they were just starting to hit a pretty significant expansion, right? So yoga was becoming bigger in terms of commercial reach, and they were starting to scale up and increase their number of conferences every year. I think the next phase was I started to work on teacher content for the website, so I tapped you along with a bunch of other teachers to write some stories for the website, which you later won a Webby Award for, <laughs> which you lord over me for years and years. And so I can just remember like getting to know you in a work context. And also I can literally remember having lunch with you one time. I, I think it was at that Nepalese place. It was. And we shared momos. Yes, momos. And I can remember... discussing the assignment for the web pieces, but I can also remember picking your brain about teaching because I was teaching part-time and I was flailing. Uh, I was just like, I am terrible at this. I don't, 
like to talk in front of people? What do I do? How fast do I go? How right, do I... right, right, right. So I can remember that too. So I did that before writing in the book for you. Yes, because I, I started at Yoga Journal on the web. And then after oh, okay, about a year okay. or so, I moved over to print. Okay, yeah. I remember that. I was thinking that the first editorial relationship we had was for the basics. No, the, I think it, I, then it was called beginners. Because I worked with you a little bit on the web on those shorter pieces, I knew that you that you had the the thought process to be able to write for the magazine. I could take direction. That's why you wanted to exactly. <laughs> that, that's why you knew exactly. you wanted to marry. I was like, that guy's gonna be my husband someday. He's gonna he's good at taking direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think the first real editorial thing that I remember now I remember that. But the thing that I think was so seminal in my development as a teacher was when you asked me to write in the book for you. Mm -hmm. My first assignment was triangle pose. Mm -hmm. And looking back, man, that was a hard assignment. The first one's so hard. But even just that pose. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like triangles are really, really, really nuanced pose. Yeah. You know, it's not something like locust Mm -hmm. or bridge or even down dog is remarkably simple compared to Trikonasana. So I remember writing that article. I remember where I wrote it. I remember where I was living. I remember the color of the room. I remember like everything about it. And I remember submitting it to you and having no real editorial experience in my background. And so I essentially thought I would write this thing and then you would publish it. That's so cute. Yeah. And that was just your audition too. Because, was it my audition? Yeah, because somebody, I'm not going to say their name, but somebody else auditioned as well. Boo. <laughs> I'll tell you later. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, no, you can't do that. No, I'm joking. So anyways, so I remember submitting that and then... I don't know how long it took, but I remember getting it back. And I remember the Word document. And track I, changes. Track and changes. Red. It was the first experience I ever had with track changes, which to this day, I still don't understand how they work. It's pretty terrible. It's horrible. Yeah. But I remember the only couple of words that were left in black were like articles. <laughs> it was like trickle-nasana. <laughs> yeah. It was just all Sorry. a word massacre. But I remember, I remember I was flipped out. I just thought like this was, because, you know, as yoga teachers, we don't, we, it's almost never that we get feedback. Direct. Direct feedback. Negative feedback. Yeah. So you never really, because as yoga teachers, we're off on these weird islands. And then the people that don't want to be on the island with us usually don't tell us that. Thank God. Right. They just leave the island. Exactly. And they go to a different class, right? You never have to worry about it. And then the ones that do tell you, they're horrible. They're just like, you know, I was thinking about class. Can I give you some feedback? No. (laughs) Go, no, go away. Okay. Go to a different island, right? So anyways, and I remember we, I called you. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Because I think... I don't know who initiated, but but I called you and we had a conversation and I don't think you were trying to make me feel better or maybe you were, but you were like, oh, oh, it's not as bad as it looks. Yeah. That's what you have to say to everybody the first time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true because it's not as it, bad as it seems. You're like, it's not as bad as it looks. You really just made one 
very significant error. And let me tell you what it is. I said, okay, what? And you said, you just were dumped on me. Like essentially what you just did was you just told me for 3,000 words everything you know about triangle pose. And I remember saying to you like, I thought that was the job. Yeah. There's an article on triangle pose. Right. And you were like, no, 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 no one can pop. No one would read that. Are you kidding me? You have to find one or two compelling things about triangle pose and then create a narrative around that. So for me, this is, to be honest with you, I think, I know I've told you this, but this is one of the most seminal understandings that I've ever had, not just about writing, but teaching. This is what I try to do to this day as a yoga teacher is get yoga teachers to become much more clear and concise with what they're trying to teach and not instructionally word dump Mm -hmm. through 90 minutes of a class. And also like to let go of the fear that you have to teach everything in one go. Yeah. You can't teach everything to everyone in every class. Mm -hmm. And even if you could, no one could absorb it. That's not how education's done. Right. Well, I'm glad that had such a positive. I mean, this is so, you know, this has been the thing that I've been honing and really radically transforming and becoming, I never really say it, but this is where I think I think I've become relatively masterful with. There's all sorts of things I am not masterful with, even when it comes to teaching, no way. But this ability to really settle into, this is why I'm teaching. This is what I'm teaching. These are the elements that I'm teaching, period. And the things that I'm not trying to teach today actually helps the things that I am trying to teach today be impactful. Mm -hmm. So really it is the editorial process. It's the finding your voice. It's the honing. And that's a, that's a key element that I'm doing everything I can do to help teachers develop because without it, you just get lost and so burned out. I'm so tired of teachers being burned out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think another way of saying it is, for a story or for a class, you only have to come up with one idea and and just pick an idea that's interesting to you. That's really, you know, I think yeah. people often talk to me about writing and, you know, how do you come up with like unique creative ideas? It's like, I do it, you know, out of my own selfishness. I want to find something out or I want to learn something or I want to reinforce my learning of something. So I focus on that. Yeah. And that's when people can hear your interests and your passion. And that's part of the teaching too, is the way that you deliver the information. So you pick that one idea that's interesting to you that will change from day to day, moment to moment, which is good. And then you just, you figure out what supports that idea. Yes. You fig- In writing, you figure out all the examples that support that idea. In teaching, you figure out all the poses or focuses that support that idea you know it's it's the exact same thing with sequencing right i mean it's keep what what i'm saying but i've been saying this but like let's say what i want to do is i want to focus today on strengthening the hamstrings strengthening the glutes strengthening the outer hips and having a deeper more comfortable back bend upward facing bow or vidangarasana well my sequence is just 90 minutes of things that support that yeah, that's all it is. 
I've determined what are the outcomes that I'm looking for? Like, what is the education? What am I helping to facilitate? And then I just work backwards from there. And instead of finding examples, for me, I'm just finding actions, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. easier instances in which my students can access those parts of their body and do that thing Mm -hmm. to build the familiarity and the understanding. So when it comes time to do Urdhvidanyarasana, those things can work as well as those things can work today in that person. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Supportive evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you remember the next sort of yoga sort of timeline? The, the next thing that's coming up for me, right, is you came on retreat. Oh, yeah. In Cuba. Right? In Cuba mm-hmm. with Renee. Mm-hmm. Renee LaRose, who is a friend of ours and who used to work for Yoga Journal as well. And also, yeah, I, mean, I don't say a great friend, but someone I, I respect and, and have a ton of affection for. A colleague I haven't seen in a while, Baxter Bell. Mm-hmm. He's been on the podcast. Yeah, Baxter. Mm-hmm. So again, I have a, a ton of respect. So you and Baxter were leading that retreat, and Renee and I decided to go on it with a, a big group to Cuba, which was yeah. really fun. So Baxter and I had gone for a couple of years previously as part of the Cuba-U.S. Yoga Exchange with Mary Pafard and Patty Hirota, who were really you know the spearheads of that. And then on the Cuba side, Eduardo Pimentel, and then also Rodney. So Rodney Yee had done, I think Rodney was on one of the years with us, not both of the years, I know, or something like that. But so we went down, we complimentary, we trained a group of 40 Cuban yoga teachers. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Really, really amazing. Really formative for us. And then so... And when the U.S. to Cuba people-to-people visas opened up for a narrow window, they opened for a narrow window, Mm -hmm. we were able to get an educational visa Mm -hmm. where we took a group of, it was like 15 or 20. Yeah, 15 or 20. Yeah. So Baxter and I took about 15 or 20 Americans down on a retreat in Havana. Mm -hmm. And we stayed at a big hotel. And the morning classes were taught by Baxter or I. And then the afternoon classes, the afternoon classes, Andrea's looking at me puzzled. Some of the afternoon classes Some of them, maybe. Were, were taught, taught by Cuban teachers. By Cuban teachers. Hmm. Yes. Gosh, I don't yes. Yeah. So that was a really awesome thing. And you and I totally bonded on that. And that was when there was an overt crush. I was just going to say that. I mean, we had a really clear, good friendship. We had established like a good friendship. Our personalities gone on really well. We were both super into yoga, but I don't think that yoga defined the majority of our conversations. You know what I mean? So we worked well and consistently professionally together. And the thing that to me that's still interesting is that we had these sort of dual roles where I was your teacher 
you had other teachers, but I was your teacher in the classroom. But in terms of power dynamics, you had more leverage than I had in the yoga world. You were an editor at Yoga Journal. This right. was before social media. Yeah. This was before you could be the beautiful person in the beautiful pose in the beautiful place and just self-create your own narrative. It was before the whole world could see your calves in action. That's right. Yeah. So really what this was, was you and I were able to go back and forth of where you were learning from me in the classroom. I was learning from you in the editorial process. Like you were my boss in that situation. Yeah. And we had developed a good, I think a really solid friendship. Yes. Uh, and then we went on Cuba, we went to that trip and just totally bonded. Do you remember that, this is sort of a strange aside, but do you remember that one Cuban teacher that kind of fell in love with me? Yes. You yeah. thought that was so hilarious. Yeah. He kept proposing marriage to me. Yes. That was very sweet. Yes. It so was very sweet. I found those photos the other day. I think I told you this. Yeah. I'll post it on social yes. media with this episode. And I remember the very first night, I was so excited to go to Cuba. I was so excited. And in college, I spent a semester at UCLA and I li lived with two Cuban girls, three, and then became friends with their whole extended group of friends. I dated a Cuban guy. You know, I just, I had this totally romantic vision of sure. Cuba. Never thought I'd be able to go. And so I was so excited to go and to be there and we got there and it was the first night and we all had a meeting. You had a meeting with all of, all of us. And it was like this very kind of boring, like administrative meeting, just explaining like, we're going to get up at this time and we're going to get on the bus at that time. And we're going to go do this. And, and afterward I was like, I want to go do something fun. I was just at that age, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it was you and I and Renee and then Jenny. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. One of us was probably I don't remember her last me. name, but she lived in the East Bay. Yes. Yeah, okay. It was probably me who said, Let's go get ice cream. Okay. And you said you like very directly said to me, Andrea, I'll take you to go get ice cream. I remember where I took you. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it was just like one of the best ice creams I've ever had. It yeah. was so fun. Yeah. Yeah, because Cuba's just beautiful. When we got back from that trip, that's kind of where for me I start to lose the timeline a little bit. Were you coming to my classes? Were you coming to public classes of mine? And you went to a class with Rodney with me, right? That was long before. Okay. We were, okay. That was long before. Okay. No, I, I can remember now that when we got back from Cuba was my phase with... Someone else. Someone else. Got it. That shall and, I was in, and I was in a relationship at the time as well. Yes. I thought I was going to marry this person. I mean, I was just... It was a year-long thing. It was a big disaster. He went, ended up going back to Thailand and entering the monkhood. <laughs> <laughs> now that is a claim to fame. If there yeah, ever was yeah, one that I, yeah. da I dated a guy who decided instead of moving forward in the relationship, he'd go become a celibate monk. Yeah, I have some. So that phase, I was really off in that world and you were in your world. And then that our two relationships ended, I think, like fairly fairly close together yes. within yeah, six months or so yeah. yeah and so you saw your window of opportunity that's it and you took it so when we started dating i don't feel like you and i i never felt like your yoga teacher no right no so this is one of those things of like because we had such a dynamic existing relationship i never felt like you were my student like no 
And I, I guess I in definitely, so- we had so many conversations where I felt like I was still learning from you, but I can remember sure. just having one conversation really maybe a month into our relationship when we were sitting at my table on Dolores street, at my old kitchen table, I can remember saying to you, I think it's probably a good idea if you don't do any adjustments on me in public classes anymore. It just, I don't know why it just felt like it just felt like it was time to erect a boundary. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. It just, yeah. Didn't, that it makes just sense. didn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. And you kept coming to class but you came to class on like Saturday mornings yeah. because in some ways, again, like that was social hour, mm-hmm. you know, like there's just a big group of us mm-hmm. It's really the only, I have plenty of students that I really, really, really like and care for, but I don't have that many students that I spend social time with, mm-hmm. but that was a phase where there was a big network. Yeah, I mean, not a big wet network, but somewhere between like seven and seven and 12 people. Mm -hmm. And we'd have coffee together pretty much after every Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. So again, you were a student of mine, but, but you weren't that kind of student of mine. No. I mean, I just, I guess we just never had what, what felt like. We never had to like go through like, okay, well you were my student and I used to give right, you right, shot right, to right, right, and right, I used right, to right. look up to me like, like the deity that I am. Right. But now maybe we're even. Now underneath like you're going to see. <laughs> it was just never like that. Yeah. No, we were very collegial from the very beginning, I think. And then you just kind of stopped coming to class. Well, I had a baby. Time-wise. But but a part of it was time wise, right? Do you mean Do you mean at Yoga Journal? I stopped coming to class. No, because at Yoga Journal, I went to your Saturday class at the Yoga Loft forever. Till you had Sophia. Yes. Okay, so now we march forward, and I guess kind of next thing that comes up, right? Which is that's kind of our timeline. But I think we can talk for just a little bit at the end now, and talk about just ways in which our own personal practices and yoga in general informs how we relate to one another. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's been the through line. It's been the subject. It's been the sort of body of work where we've, where we've been together in so many ways, but obviously this practice, this worldview has strongly influenced how we relate to ourselves and yeah. also relate to others. Yes. Do you want me to start? Sure. I think that you and I both have the ability to pause our reactions if we're having a conflict. And I think for me, that's definitely comes from practice. So we're both really emotionally driven. And I would say in previous relationships for me, like I would be driven by my emotions and I would either have a reaction, emotional reaction, or I would like stuff it with the person face to face, but internally have a really intense emotional reaction. And I would believe those emotions. And with you, I definitely, I think you've always just been so reasonable about talking about things that I learned to trust the process of having the reaction and like experiencing it. And maybe, maybe, maybe in the moment, allowing it to come out, but really just saying to myself, okay, we're going to be able to talk about this. We're go- this is not going to be a deal breaker in our relationship. It's just an issue. So let's, for myself, let me figure out what it is. Let me figure out what's actually really important. 
and what I don't have to believe about my internal samskaras. And then let me bring it up in a way that feels like it makes sense to me. And I guess I just always know that you will listen. And that is, I think, I think just in any relationship, that's so key. Yeah. I was reflecting on this earlier too. And I was thinking, you know, I think for a very long period of time, I felt the need to be right. Hmm. I've never sensed that in you. That's well, funny. well, maybe before we were together. Uh, maybe before we were together, but also like that is always my first impulse. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. My first impulse is always that I want to be right. And the thing is, in terms of being right, I have more than met my match. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, because I can put, I can put together a strong case and a strong argument. I'm smart. You can do it better. So, right. So I think to some degree, I started to both with yoga, but also in our relationship, I just started to realize that I wasn't always right. Right. I wasn't already always right. And my, view of something. I wasn't always right in how I was projecting a situation to be. Yeah. Right. And so in order to just fight for what's right in order to be what's right was I started to learn was often not the correct thing. Yeah. Because I wasn't always right. You know, I just, I I started to see that more and more clearly. Right. And I also have like, I think for me, I am extremely nice and polite and kind, but I do not suffer fools well and I do not back down to anything. I have a very quick temper when I feel like I am being misjudged or misunderstood or or a situation like that. And I feel like with our relationship over the years, I realized that you're never having a conflict with me because you are being like overly impetuous or like if there is a conflict, you have a very good and clear reason why we have an issue that needs to be addressed. Right. Right. And I think that because I have so much respect for you that if we're having some sort of conflict, I'm able to step back and say, this is not an irrational, unreasonable person. Right. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I, so I have to take this seriously because I might not actually be correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or there's more than one correct. I understand there's more than one correct, but I think it's not just that I've become more kind and understanding to others. I think that has happened, but I think it's, it's actually more than that or less than that, however you qualify it. It's that, I have such a particular respect for for your intellectual honesty and your sensitivities that I feel like if you have an issue with something, there is an actual issue that needs to be addressed. It's not the musings of a crazy person. Well, that is very nice to hear. No, I mean, seriously, it is very, ni- very, oh, very nice to hear. Also nice to hear that you don't think I'm a crazy person. But I think you're, we, we both are super emotional. Yeah. Right. And so there are times where you or I are just a little overly heated. Yes. 
right? Yes. Or a little overly, overly wind, wound up yeah, about something. Yeah, tight. or like It needs to cool a little bit. So maybe sometimes the degree of things, you and I are a little off. We sort of were overemphasized the degree of something. Sure, sure, sure. But I feel like when there, when there ever actually is some sort of issue or conflict, there actually is something that needs to be addressed. Right, right. You know what I mean? That it's not, that it isn't something that can just be casually ignored because someone feels a particular way. Yeah. Like there, there actually is a sticking point mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed. So I can't just assume I'm right in the way I feel. This person is wrong. Mm -hmm. I have to say, no, 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 no. If this is happening, this is actually a thing. The degree of that thing, who knows, but this is a thing that actually yeah it's interesting attention. you know we've been married 10 years and when i think about our relationship after have, having listened to you say that you know i feel like the like movies and the media like portrays relationships getting harder as time goes on and people getting bored or people getting just i don't know that's that's the narrative in movies we grew up with and i think listening to you say that i realized that yeah you're right in the beginning of our relationship i wouldn't say that you always wanted to be right you just happen to be more rigid about things. Like you had a harder time meeting me in the middle about things yeah. at that time. And, and you are so much more, you have such a better Malleable, like, ability, to, ability to compromise. And so that to me is like the beauty of a longer term relationship is it, right. you, you learn those things about each other. And I will say that I have learned, I've learned two things. Do not bring up every single thing that bothers you, Andrea, because you will drive him insane. And <laughs> well, because, there's more. No, no, no I, I, know, I got like, it. I got it. I got it. I, got I mean, it. not yeah, more. Yeah. That's more on me. Yeah, yeah. I've learned to let things go more. Sure, sure, sure. Because I trust you. Yeah. And number two, this is actually kind of more on you. I've learned to be really careful about my timing of totally. what I bring things up. You are totally. so totally sensitive to timing. Totally. If you have anything on your mind that is bothering you about work or something, I cannot bring up yeah. like any person, even if the personal issue is like, so, Hey, when are we going to pay that annual phone check to the school? Like, even if it's something yeah. like that, was, you're just like, I can't, I can't, yeah. I just can't. Yeah. Very sensitive that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two things. One, in some ways, don't you think that's the real skill? Yes. That's like the real skill of, of interacting with humans yes it's, it's actually a big key to understanding our daughter yeah and human condition yes so much is about timing timing and tone mm -hmm. right yeah and then i think that the the other thing in this is that it's part of your increased sensitivity to me right yeah. or my increased sensitivity to you yeah so it's actually it's part of a relationship skill where you become more sensitive to what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and when. Right. And if we circle this all the way back literally to an asana practice, right? Couple of things. What happens with age in uh, yoga practice? Well, one of the things is we become more realistic. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you just actually become more realistic with, the, with what you got. Right. You know? It's true. You become more realistic with what you got. And you become more realistic with kind of the timing of what you can push and what you can't push. Like, I know that there are certain poses or there are certain families of poses 
that I can that I can still push myself a little bit with. There's others I can't. Right. right? Yeah. There's others I can't. Yeah. And also, you know, like I work really hard on my body, probably more than I ever have, including when I was a kid. But I know on what days I have to decelerate or I'm going to pay for it. And then I know what days I can actually sort of amp things up, up or go a little bit more intense, mm-hmm. right? Again, it's like we're not being asked in yoga to deal with some fantastical possible reality. We're in the business of uncovering the real reality, right? And so we, in our practice and in relationships, like over time, you just get actually much better at saying like, this is what it is. This is what we have. This is who we are. It's a really good thing. And how do I work within these parameters without becoming involved in some fantastical narrative of different parameters. Oh my God, totally. You are really good at that too. I want to say one more thing. I just want to make sure I say this one more thing, which is a huge thing that I have learned from you is acceptance. And it's like, honestly, I think I've said this to you before. I hope I have. I think one of the biggest gifts you've given to me is to just accept me for exactly who I am. And I don't think I really ever had that before in my relationships, including like my familial relationships. Sure, 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 it's sure. It's just sort of how my family is wired. It's yeah. just always like, well, how can we do it better? And how can we achieve more? And how can we change this? And you just come from a fundamentally different place, which also might be part of your family narrative. I'm not sure. I think your family's really good about accepting what is and how people are. And then when you do that... You can like have fun and laugh. Your family is really good at just the lightness and the levity and dealing with the reality. I think of this in the way that your mother talks about like the grandkids and our kids. She sees all of them and their different personalities and their different challenges and their different wonderful aspects. And she just has some humor about it. Yeah. She just, and so, you know, you giving me that possibility not only has made, I think, me a better person to be in relationship with, with, it's made me able to navigate my life more easily because I don't feel as much like I'm constantly trying to please others. Right, Like right, that was right, right, really right. an issue for me. And it really came out strongly with the planning of our wedding. You right. know, I was just like so stressed out about sure. expectations that everyone else would have. Right. And that was... I remember actually getting ready for the wedding and talking to you about it. And you had some really funny things to say that will be too long to even right. explain the context of right now. But it was like a learning for me going through that and being like, oh, this isn't our time. This is yeah, not about yeah, yeah. anyone else. Yeah. I stop worrying about everyone else all the time. Yeah. I think my, my only follow-up to this, and uh, I'll, I'll censor myself, but like, I just don't actually trust people that aren't, kind of bleeped up from time to time oh yeah we've talked like about i genuinely that. don't trust it mm-hmm. i don't i'm not interested and i don't trust it mm-hmm. because i think that the human condition is so fundamentally complicated mm-hmm. that we all have our little psychotic craziness and it's not that we have to wear it on our sleeves but any overt attempt to create a personal narrative that sublimates like our intrinsic psychoness from time to time, 
A, I'm not interested in it. Yeah. And B, I don't trust it. I don't trust it for one second. It's just like, I have a BS meter like no one I have ever come across in my life. And part of that is the family narrative, right? You know, growing up, my brother, my brother's great and awesome and healthy, but he was an alcoholic, cocaine addict, a lot of conflict in the family. And, and he was eight years older than you. So yeah, you were young. So I was young. So I was seven when things started seven for about 10 years, Yeah, you know, so a long, a long and very turbulent period. But the thing is, is like going through that, which, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of people go through this one way or another. Mm -hmm. There was never a time where I didn't love my brother. There was never a time where, I mean, I didn't want him around all the time <laughs> because there, because there was the conflict. Too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, I didn't see it as abnormal. Yeah, you're so good about that. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, the anxiety issues I've dealt with in my life, I don't see them as abnormal. The depression issues that you've talked about, I don't see them as abnormal. When I'm having anxiety about, you know, a workshop or this or that, I don't see it as abnormal. I see it, I see all of these things as just intrinsic things to the human condition to manage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, it's not. I've never been attracted to an absence of this stuff because I don't believe it exists. I just, I've not, I've not seen it. I've not experienced it. And so when there's, to me, when there's conflict or when there's an issue, it's something to be managed, but it's not, it's not endemic of a fundamental flaw. Yes. I mean, there, so there, good about that. there are some fundamental flaws in relationships when, when there's not compatibility. Mm -hmm. But when there is fundamental compatibility and then you just, you just have some stuff to manage, it doesn't, God, I can't imagine somehow being in a relationship where there aren't things to manage. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe with like a dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But even then, I mean, not like, for me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have issues. I have my own issues with with dogs. So thanks. Yeah. And then I'd say the next thing is I really I stay I mostly stay in this relationship because of the media access to Yoga Land. I mean, because as you said, I always have had more leverage in the yoga community. Yeah, yeah. so not true. So, but this is, a, this to, is an audience. Funny to uh, it's an audience. It's all a masquerade. Yeah, you know. Yep. We have a daughter's room. <laughs> we work out of. That's it. Yeah, I love you. I love you too. Well, that was new and different for us. Thanks as always for listening. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 127, and I will uh, post some photos of us in Cuba. I dug some up, and they're they're pretty darn cute if I do say so myself. I have really a really weird haircut, just, just warning you. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review. Of course, I read every review, and it inflates my ego, just as Jason did telling me how important, or what did he say? I have more leverage than him in the yoga community. Hilarious. He knows exactly what to say, which is why we've been happily married for so long. But truly, it does make a difference, and I, I do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, and I love hearing from you in all the different ways. 
that I hear from you. I just got back from retreat in Hawaii with Jason and met a few of you, and it's just really delightful to feel like there's a community out there. So until next week, enjoy your practice. Heart to